Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And good morning again, everyone. So it's me, Pat Harridan from Lockton Companies in Boston, sitting in. And for those who are regular listeners of the show, when I sit in, I normally talk about employee benefits insurance. And today is no exception, but a little broader today. We're having a human resources and HR discussion. My guest the first hour was Amanda Bailey, who's the VP of HR for Boston University. And my guest for this hour is Amy Roberts, who's the Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at People's Bank. Good morning and welcome, Amy. Good morning. Good to have you. And again, as I said to Amanda, this is another excellent opportunity to mention that I did not ask you to drive to the studio today. You didn't. Thank you for doing that. So with with our discussion, we're trying to educate our listeners about human resources people. Typically, as I mentioned earlier, people's interactions with human resources are either out of necessity, they need something, verification, something, or they're just hired and after the onboarding process, don't really know what HR does. So I want to ask you a few questions about that in the day in the life of a of an HR person. And again, with your perspective being at a bank currently, but also your prior roles. But why don't we start at the beginning, Amy, give us a little introduction to our listeners of you, your background, and then I can get into sort of the specifics. Sure, thank you. So I started my career at a financial services company, but I really started in the business. So I learned about life insurance, annuities, disability insurance, all sorts of things, and made my way to human resources through management and just learning and development and got my experience in corporate human resources there and then moved on to a defense contractor who manufactured for the Navy. So thankfully Hmm. I wasn't doing any of that, but I was doing (laughs) HR work in that organization. And then I've also worked at a very large automotive dealership that was a larger employee base, very different, got some really great HR experience in that role. And then uh, landed at People's Bank in 2019. And I've been the head of human resources there ever since. And I have to ask, because I asked Amanda, what is your degree in, Amy? I'm guessing it's, I'm hoping it's not HR. <laughs> <laughs> my, my undergrad degree is actually, was in communications and sociology. Oh. And then I went back to school and got my master's degree in human resource development later oh. on. Okay. Yeah, the other piece of our audience are sometimes people listen. I've got students listening who are either thinking about or on their way to getting a, a postgraduate postgraduate degree, I'm sorry, a post degree for human resources. And I always tell them, 
It's the same thing in our business, Amy. Like no one went to school for insurance and benefits. No one went to school. Most people did not go to, at least initially, go to school. But communications, I'm guessing, is a very important skill to have in human resources because you have to communicate with various groups of people. So that's close. I like the English with Amanda's, which, again, is very good, too. Yeah, and I didn't get the degree thinking I would go into HR. (laughs) Certainly, your advice rings true. I just got some advice along the way when I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up, and they just gave me the advice of do what you like, and you'll find your way, and I really, that rung true for me. I just enjoyed the communication and interpersonal communication, and all of those types of things were really interesting to me, so I pursued that degree and enjoyed it. And we're talking with Amy Roberts, who's the CHRO at People's Bank. One of the things that if you could help us with, Amy, because I realized in doing my little bit of homework that I tried to do during the break, there are a lot of People's Banks out there. So if you can just give people an idea of where you're located, how many branches you have, scope of operations, that kind of thing, I think that will be helpful for people to understand your point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So we're, uh, People Think is based out of Holyoke, Massachusetts, which is in the western part of the state. We have about 20 locations in the kind of western Massachusetts region and the northern Connecticut region as well. So we're branching out into the Hartford market. Oh, and about how many employees, full-time, part-time, that kind of thing? We've got about 320 of these overall, and most of those are working in our banking centers, but we have a corporate office in Holyoke, which houses the remaining of those employees. And and you said you got your way to banking from various industries. You haven't been in banking all your career. That's correct, yes. So I've been in HR for over 20 years, but it's been in different industries, which was not by design, but I do think that it definitely makes difference in terms of my perspective. So I definitely appreciate the different background that I have for sure. Yeah. And, and as I was saying earlier with Amanda, you have a varied group of as well. You've got obviously people who are doing um, rather transactional type things like literally, and you also have obviously executives and then you've got people at each of the physical buildings for facilities. So you do have a varied workforce as well out of those 300 or so employees is my guess. Yeah, it's rare that you don't have a varied workforce. So again, I think that the experience I've had in my career definitely helps me in that regard too. So we're talking with Amy Roberts, who's the CHRO at People's Bank. So a couple of baseline questions that everyone wants to know. So you got to People's Bank pre-pandemic. So you said you got there in 2019. How did sort of the pandemic impact what you do from an HR perspective first? It's funny. (laughs) I got there in 2019, about six months before the pandemic happened. Anyone that's had a new job, when their first six months, you're still trying to find the bathroom and figure out things and so I just got my feet under me and then things changed dramatically for the organization and pretty much the world. It's an interesting perspective for sure. I, I, I think a lot about the time of the pandemic and I know we're not totally out of it but it definitely feels like a very unique period of time in my career. I had to shift a lot of what I normally do relative to 
employee development and training and succession planning and all of those kinds of things and really get very operational and tactical around how we're going to operate a business in the midst of a pandemic. And there really wasn't a lot of past precedent that you could reflect on there. So it was a lot of moment to moment decision-making and every day waking up wondering, okay, what's today going to bring and how are we going to operate if five people have COVID and that kind of thing. So definitely a different time for sure. And one of the things that you probably hear a lot, we have, we have a few financial services or retail, for lack of a better word, retail banks where people would go into them and they all, every time we talk about it, they are all like, everyone thinks that no one went to a bank pre-COVID anyway. There was no big deal, right? (laughs) Like people thought right. that, oh, there's no impact because people weren't going, you can do everything remotely and all that. But obviously they don't think about the people piece of it. They just think about the, from themselves, hey, I don't have to go to the bank. I can do everything online or go to the ATM and no one has checks anymore, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think the pandemic did amazing things for our self-service functions Mm. of the organization. That was a strategy for us in terms of really trying to help people understand their options to do mobile banking and bill pay all online and you don't really need to enter a branch to do your business. The pandemic changed that for us in terms of those people that were very reluctant to take up those channels in some cases didn't have a choice, but in in a lot of ways they realized how, how really easy it was. And so we have seen a tremendous increase of that type of customer who now prefers that line of service. We still have people that need to go into the banking center. They are looking for advice. They're looking for help with financing or just in general, their own financial needs. And so it was still a challenge. You have to be there. And usually when someone goes into a banking center, it's because they have a problem and they need help resolving it. And so that's best handled face-to-face or in person, but obviously they can still do that remote, but most people prefer to talk to a person in person. Right. No, I was saying that with the, with Amanda. Similar to HR, most people that go into a bank are going there because there's a problem. There's a Or there's something that can't physically be done. I learned during the pandemic that I, I bank at two of the larger banks and you cannot do a wire transfer online apparently so yep. which i get uh, i understand the after it was explained to me in great detail why I, it made sense to me but i think eventually hopefully we get to where we can do them a little bit better but yeah it's mainly and then the expectation obviously from an hr person is the customer wants a human interaction right they want to see someone and they want to have someone listen to them and that's very difficult and that's where i think that as we deal with in my line of work i deal with pretty hr and benefits people all the time and the fact that the public does, even their own employees don't understand what it is that they do. It's not just when you look at the listing of things that HR does or people solutions, the term the company is using, it is varied and it's not just, it's not just at hire. It's not or onboarding. It's not just at retirement or termination. It's not just at benefits. It's throughout the year, which again, which is what I'm trying to do in educating people, because most people that have gone through their careers, even you know, retired pre-pandemic, they really didn't have a good idea as to what human resources did, because again, 
everything. We, I don't want to say we made, we treated our employees like our children, but we made it easy for them where they didn't really have to do much, right? Everything was online. If you didn't enroll in your benefits, we just kept them. If you didn't fill out a new W-4 every year, we just rolled over the, like everything. <laughs> right, we we right. made it easy. And then we did self-serve, right? Everyone could do their own. Like you didn't need to understand what an HR does. But to the extent now where I think companies more and more, as we talk with like CFOs and CEOs, they're realizing that their number one problem is finding, finding hiring, and retaining people. And... That's human resources, that's benefits, that's the experience, that's all those things. So in talking about that, you mentioned sort of COVID impact and maybe for the good. Obviously, people are coming back and they're going back to branches. But what are your, what's the biggest challenge you have now, Amy, in your role, like in general as the CHRO? I think the immediate challenge is, is the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. We, we've obviously, as everybody has read, all of the reports about the turnover and people leaving their jobs and droves and making job changes, finding people and putting them in the right job is, is getting trickier than it was prior COVID. So that that's definitely a big issue for us. But in general, I'd say my role very focused on the employee experience and that the development and retention of talent. I do a lot of things around helping the senior leadership team figure out their areas and what they need for talent and resources and then how to find those resources, train those resources, develop them into bigger roles and help them plan so that they have the right people in the right role and they can be effective in the strategies that they have. Yeah, no, that's spot on, Amy. One of the things that I've heard from other people, and we have this issue too in in our organization and others is no one does it well, or at least from what I've been able to see, the whole succession planning, the professional development, the mentoring, no one really, everyone knows we have to do it, but we just don't, we don't want to think about it. (laughs) It's almost like life, it's like life insurance. We know we need it. We just don't want to think about it. But that's part of the other part of, in my role is managing people too. You get to understand why it is that people leave organization and you can all the LinkedIn gossip is correct and that people don't leave bad jobs they leave bad managers but a lot of people again this is post pandemic a lot of people leave because they don't feel like they have a career path or no one sat down with them and said hey this is what you need to do to get to the next level or you know what their opportunities are they just feel like it's a job not a career and that's sad, but that's, like you said, that's part of the role is to educate the managers. That's what they should be doing is helping Yeah, well, people. and I think, too, some people realized through the pandemic or in other ways in this time that there's more to <laughs> work than just showing up every day and doing a job. And so I do think that people have a need to feel inspired in the work they do and feel like they're a part of something bigger. And so my role is really helping an organization figure out what that looks like. And I do think that the key to retaining talent is helping that individual see their path and what their options are and make it worth their while and make them feel like they're a part of something. I think a lot of people who make the decision that they're going to join an organization, they're doing it a lot more carefully these days. They're thinking about what that organization does and the impact they have in the community that they're a part of and what their values are and things that in some ways have always been there. But I think the ones that are doing a good job of it are 
genuinely um, doing those things and not just saying them. And so I think that makes a big difference too. HR also helps in that world and really helps an organization articulate those things in a way that's meaningful to people. And I think that makes a big difference too. Yeah, and one of the things that's hard is at least because I know I started my my new role and my new employer during the pandemic, and I don't even remember my onboarding process. From a, I knew what the job was and I knew what I was supposed to do, but it was almost like a blur to me. It was probably on Zoom, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was, and again, <laughs> I probably was doing what we're all doing on Zoom. I wasn't paying attention or I was on my phone. That's but great. yeah, and that's where, but again, obviously at my stage of my career, I know, I know what's expected of the job and what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do. But there were questions that if I really sat down and thought about it, I'm like, I would have asked that or I should have known that. Because like you said, and you said it when you started, where's the bathroom? Like, how do I get in the building? Those kind of like basic human needs that we need to solve for before people can start thinking about doing their job. That's something that is people assume it's done. Oh, yeah. We hired Mary or John. They're going to start on Monday. And they just show up and it works. And it doesn't happen like that normally. But yeah, it's been a, I think the pandemic has to a certain extent helped a little bit in focusing more attention on not only the onboarding experience, but just like that first day of work. Because most people's first, at least the last three years, most people's first day at work may not have been physically in a building. It was hey, you're going to do this training and you're going to do it online and no one's going to watch you. You know what I mean? It's it's very yeah. it's very different and it's hard. I think I'm sure 10 years from now or later when books are written and people are surveyed as to how this, how we could have done better, I think there's a lot we could learn from just doing our jobs better now. Obviously, we're, as you said, I doubt that at least in the near future, that we're going to have a five-day-a-week for traditional office jobs, a five-day-a-week, nine-to-five. We didn't really have that before the pandemic, but I don't think we're going to get there again anytime soon. But what I want to talk to you about after the break is a couple of things. One is what, have it, what if anything, you and, and People's Bank have done in terms of benefits but also, and I'll give you time to prepare that I did not give Amanda time to prepare. I want to ask you about best part of your job, worst part of your job, because part of our audience is listening because they want to think about going into HR and what the different options are there. And I also, I didn't, but I want to ask you, Amy, just about the team that you have, like what other sort of departments, do you have separate benefits or separate compensation or do you just have a person? So I'll give you, I'll give you time to think about that. And then um, at the very end, I just want to ask you a little bit about the future of not only HR, but also of benefits and what you think the overused term is the future of work that everyone seems to be using. So what you think, and also from a, for us out there, what do you guys see it from a banking perspective? Will there still still be the need for in-person banking and how is the type of employee that you're looking for now different, um, different than maybe the employee you looked for pre-pandemic? So I gave you a laundry list of things about in the next two minutes. <laughs> so well, well, thank you for the time. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you after the break, Amy. 
This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we are back for our final segment this morning. This is Pat Harridan of Lockton Companies in Boston, sitting in for Mike and the team today. And looking out the window, Tim, it is still not snowing, so we're in good shape. Now. (laughs) That's right. So we are talking with Amy Roberts, who's the Chief Human Resources Officer at People's Bank. And prior to the break, we got a good background on Amy and and People's Bank. And now I just want to get a little more thick on benefits because that's my... my area of expertise. Amy, similar to, to Amanda, I've cheated a little bit and I've gone on the People's Bank website. And you do put a lot of information about your benefits on the website, which I like. But what are some of the benefits that you have decided to offer employees that you feel are either unique or trying to help out the employee in that work-life balance? Actually, we have two new benefits this year that are... right aligned with that particular area of new and different. And so the first would be we were offering a subscription to Calm, which is an app that you can get relative to mental health awareness and just techniques and tools and resources for better mental health. And that's available to each employee and family members. And we've actually gotten a lot of great feedback on that particular benefit offering. And we're really excited and happy about that because we thought it might be a great thing. And so Mm. now to hear from people that they really like it and that there has a couple of people share that they've had their son or daughter take the app and have it on their phone. And it's been very helpful for them, especially certain ages. They find that the information and resources for them has been a good tool. That would be one of the ones I'd say. And the second is we're also offering our associates a subscription to care.com, which is a a resource for pet care, elder care, and child care. And what that does for us is it helps our associates manage their, their life in terms of the things that happen that might prevent them from being able to come to work or the associate it's like a great place to go if you need emergency care or you're just trying to figure out how to manage a situation where now you might be responsible for caring for an elder and we've gotten some great feedback about that one as well and from uh i'm guessing that the ones i'm looking at are probably maybe some of them are even pre-pandemic but it seems like you guys have you've got a pretty good i'm under the the others because I, I you know the work-life benefits because that's the important one i'm interested in the on-site chair massage that's a good one the dry cleaning but you guys have an interesting one on a hybrid or alternative vehicle is that a corporate sort of goal or is that something that you guys have seen employees interested in so that one we actually put in place before i arrived at the organization and it was relative to just trying to be a more green company we had taken up an initiative when we were building banking centers to try to take a more green approach and this was another kind of facet of that so 
essentially an associate that purchases a hybrid vehicle. They can get a reimbursement from the company for a certain amount of money. And then we also have charging stations located at our corporate office. So yeah, we're and we're looking at expanding that beyond the current number of charging stations that we have now and also thinking, do we put them at our banking center location? So we're considering some expansion there too. Oh, to be honest with you, Amy, that's the first time I've seen that, but which is great, obviously. And then it seems like you've got a fair amount of, um, like you mentioned, the new ones there. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, because this is a big topic similar to kind of the work-life benefits. You mentioned you've got some locations in Connecticut and Massachusetts, and obviously paid leave is a big is a big uh, topic because of the different states coming up with their own programs. But how challenging is it to hire employees in one state that live in another state? Or And do you, the other question I asked before the break is, how many people do you have in your human resources slash benefits department to track and help all these 300 plus employees? Yeah, so the state leaves, that's a, that's that's an interesting one. You can't see it, but I'm tearing my hair out as we show. We've been, Massachusetts was the first state that we're operating in, obviously, to pass yeah. state leave laws, and then Connecticut followed. And we were pretty quick to realize that the complexity involved with not only just one state, but two states and managing the employee population, some of which transfer between states because we have banking centers and obviously both states and have staffing needs that have to be fluid. So just figuring out all of those things. So we've partnered with our leave vendor and we actually outsource a lot of that work because the determination of the benefits is a tricky thing. And the first year that we were working in this manner, it was very clunky and messy for the associate whereby they were getting paid from our vendor and then paid from us. And then there was sometimes a lag in when they'd get their check and obviously someone on a leave that's the last thing that they need to be worrying about so we made the decision last year to streamline that process and essentially we 100 percent for a number of weeks and then any kind of state leave they have beyond that we're paying them directly for whatever that percentage that they're allowed based on the state program and then we get reimbursed from our leave provider. So the associate kind of doesn't feel the pain of the delay and the bureaucracy of approvals and paperwork and all that stuff. And then essentially we're getting whatever money they would have gotten after that stuff all happens. So it's definitely very complex. I do have a a dedicated benefits (laughs) resource who handles all of the associate benefits, questions, concerns, but they have the benefit of professionals who do this every day for lots of different people as a kind of a direct contact. So we take, we've taken ourselves out of the day-to-day paperwork and decision-making around leave status and put it on a professional team. And then our liaison is essentially my benefits person that works on my team. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm hoping that my students that are listening are paying attention because I didn't know this is I'll be honest and Amy will back me up I did not know the answer to the question I didn't know if you outsourced it or not but in our when I have my class on benefits and we talk about leave and time off I say that you should never administer leave on your own you should always outsource it (laughs) Like that—that—that's my. I have two pieces of advice. I say, if you're in benefits, you shouldn't. The two things that you should not do on your own 
is leave administration and COBRA administration. Oh, agree. Because those are the two things where it sounds simple, but it's not. Like COBRA people are like, oh, what's I got a couple of people. No, it's not as, especially with what they did with COVID and they changed all the rules about participating and payments and all that. But with leave, and you're in maybe the two worst states for tracking, but if someone goes, if someone is out on a, in a given day, which always happens, right? If you have 300 employees, I'm sure there's 25 of them that are out on any given day. You have to track where they are, why they're out every single day. And then probably under, depending on, again, how many and what size, you're probably under six or seven different leave provisions, right? From FMLA all the way down to the state. And the way you're approaching it, I think, is actually good because... You don't want the employee to know how the sausage is made. They just want to get their payment. They, that's all. Right. That's right. All that. And there's, I think there's some degree of risk with managing yourself that when you outsource it, you're also outsourcing the decision making. So you become, you don't, you're not the person that's saying you're not eligible for this level of leave. If we're relying on a professional organization, and so that also helps us in terms of the employee experience and just their overall feeling like they're getting the right answer instead of it being, they don't, the company doesn't like me, so they're not approving my leave. (laughs) We'll take ourselves out of that whole equation. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's funny you mention that again without any planning. I when we when I talk to a prospective client and I, I have my six questions to ask, I usually ask, "How are you doing on leave administration?" Because that's usually, for lack of a better phrase, the pain point for most organizations if they're doing it themselves. And every client that's or every prospective client that says, "Oh, we we do it ourselves. We have a person." that does it. And I said, oh, great. I go, how many leaves do you approve versus you deny? And then they always say, we, we don't deny any leaves. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you could benefit from a little help. I get it. They just don't want to go through the process of denying a leave because they, they feel like it's going to be approved. But you're right. It's just like our normal back to the pre, it was back to having someone do your disability for you, right? It was always have someone else make that. We're not doctors. I don't know how long someone needs to be out. I don't know what constitutes a condition. I don't want to get into the whole relatives and all that. So yeah, outsourcing it is great. But again, having you guys provide, there's nothing that says an employer can't provide more than what's required. And usually some states more out west than in the east, most of the state programs are very basic and the employer was providing more of a benefit anyway. So in other words, it wasn't, it was just to get those who weren't participating to participate. And I did notice, because it came up in our earlier conversation with Amanda, um, and maybe I, my computer died, so hopefully I read it. Do you guys offer some type of uh, voluntary long-term care as well, insurance? We don't offer that any longer. We used ah. to a while ago, but we're not offering. That That was a very tricky yes. industry. So we can get out of this, that business. But we do offer our associates a free financial planning. Yep. So we actually have an individual who will meet with each of our associates and their family member if they choose. And certainly that's something that they can discuss with that individual. No, I agree. And that's what Amanda and I were talking about, that long-term care insurance is tough because there's not a lot of fears out there anymore. You can't really buy yeah group like you can on, on disability, like I'm, I'm sure you do. What are some of the other, obviously, I don't really spend a lot of time on medical, dental, or FSA. Do you guys do anything with, uh, you mentioned the COM 
piece, but anything on the old traditional wellness front, trying to keep people healthy? Do you guys do anything unique there from a benefit standpoint? I think it's unique. We have actually an employee-based wellness committee, which we serve as the kind of the guide for that group and we'll help them think about programming and get them resources as needed. Obviously, with our benefits programs, we have connections with our various carriers and they offer resources. So we act as the conduit between our associate group and our vendors so that we can provide services and information. So the employee group typically will set up an annual calendar and they'll establish the areas that they want to focus on for the year, whether that be weight loss or healthy choices, healthy eating or diet, walking, those kinds of things. We'll we'll work with them to provide various programs that they'll kind of market and try to get engagement from our associates. We also offer a Kubi sign-out. So we have a, I don't know if you've ever heard of them or your listeners have heard of them, but they're kind of those apparatus that you can sit at your desk and pedal away. And so we have a library, if you will, of machines that we lend out to associates. And so typically those are all lent out all the time, which is (laughs) awesome. So we, we try to do some creative things. We do offer massages. That was unfortunately more pre-COVID, so we're starting to get back into that now where we have a contract with a massage therapist who will come into our corporate office and then they will travel out to the banking centers as well and offer that to our associates. And then we, we do the traditional things like Weight Watchers programs and other types of things. And it's really more just what the employees are looking for. So typically it'll be an employee who comes forward and says, hey, why don't we try this? And we just provide the support and the information to make it happen. Yeah, no, the QB, I thought I have seen that at a few places. I actually saw someone trying to do the sitting on a one of those like medicine type balls while trying to pedal. <laughs> while doing that. Yeah, they were trying to, trying to do both. I have seen to the to the to counter that though i have seen i've been now that we're starting to get out and visit clients and prospects more this year i have seen a lot of those treadmill desks gathering dust in the in various corners of offices so i don't know if that was a trend a little while ago the treadmill desk but i think the qb thing is a little different because it's more portable and people don't have to commit to it like a treadmill desk right yeah we also do most of our desks in the, at least in the corporate office, are Stand, adjustable seats yeah, and stands yeah. are standard set. But yeah, we don't have too many people that are doing the treadmill. I do have a couple, <laughs> yeah. but most people are taking advantage of the standing feature of their desk. That's most of what I see. Yeah, no, I've seen, we do that from an, we actually, a few of our clients had a, I forget what the right name is, I think it's an ergonomics person or something come in and because we're doing a lot of, again, there'll be a better word someone will come up with, but we're doing a lot of hoteling where people share desks because no one's in all five days. So obviously there's a, 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 a sort of a cleanliness component where the desk gets washed and wiped down. But also there's a, apparently there, we have one of our clients has a desk that has a memory feature. So it has the pad where you normally go up and down. If you, it has a code. So if you are like Amy's code is 302, you put in 302 and it will automatically go to your height. But if you... Oh, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> and if you come in and you're tall and you punch a different code, it will go to that height. And it's, I guess there's a few other like 
little things to do because some of our desks, again, this is all, as you said, we're tr- at least for most of our clients are trying to get people comfortable coming back. So once they're over the, hey, I'm not going to get sick, then they're like, okay, how can I be comfortable? And if I'm going to do Zoom calls all day or if I'm going to be talking to customers and I want to stand, I want to be able to stand without necessarily using headphones or it's, so it's, yeah. I think we're evolving there, but I think it's great that you guys, it is a little unique that you have a wellness committee of employees and you actually listen to the employees. Some, some committees that we've heard of come up with a bunch of ideas and nothing ever gets done. But I think that's great because obviously if the employees are requesting it, you'll, there's a better chance that they're actually going to utilize some 100%. of these things. No, that's great. And like you said, when in an office environment where people are sitting or sedentary most of the day, it's good to it's good to do that. I see a lot less because there's just not enough people. As we're, we've been doing this a long time. Maybe pre-COVID, everyone used to walk around, right? We'd talk, water cooler, break room. Now, if there's not a lot of people in, you're sitting in your, your office or your cube. So benefits are important. And it's not, like I always say, it's kind of par for the course. You have to have the medical dental life disability in 401k. That's price of admission. But now it's like, what else can you do? And it's not the extreme on the other side either. It's not the foosball table and the ping pong table and the unlimited PTO. It's what can you do to help me as an employee with my life? And the com, the care.com, that stuff is all great because as you said, it's that's what people are dealing with every day. And if they have to deal with those things, they're not focusing on the work or they're not focusing on the customer, which again is what you want them to do. So we have about eight minutes left, Amy. I'm going to ask you a couple of harder questions. What are the, what's the part of your job? And again, remember, we've got students who are trying to, listening, who are trying to decide to come into this field. But what's the sort of the best part of your job in either in general or specifically to people's i think for me the best part of the most rewarding part is helping managers be effective so that they can get the best from their people and that looks different depending on who you're talking about but i enjoy coaching managers i enjoy thinking about ways to help managers manage people and put in programs and practices that are going to help them be the most effective manager. Again, that's going to look different depending on where you're talking about in the organization, whether that be the front line or the executive level. But that's definitely a piece that I really enjoy. I think I was always drawn to the people side of business. And it excites me when you can put things in place and you see the success of people feeling engaged and excited about the work they do. So that's definitely a piece that jazzes me, for sure. And it is, it's just ironic that you're a chief people officer at People's Bank. That's just an ironic part of your career. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And just so people know, because if sometimes they're interested, the People's Bank that Amy is at is the website is bankatpeoples.com, correct, Amy? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Yeah, I know if you just do a search, there's a bunch of them out there, even in mass, by the way. So that was just strange. It's just strange, but yes, bankatpeoples.com. So, Amy, are there any aspects of the job, either pre or post-COVID, that that are not great, that you don't 
like. Trust is maybe the best word. I certainly don't enjoy the relations in the sense of investigating problems and concerns and then obviously making decisions to terminate employment for someone is not fun. I think that sometimes HR gets a bad rap and there's a perception we love to enforce rules and set rules that make things unfun. If you watch The Office, that's certainly the perceptive or perception of HR, but I think it isn't fun. I don't enjoy it. So because of that, I try really hard to look at a situation and figure, is it job fit? Is it training? Is it resources? What's preventing this person from being effective? And really try to work with the manager and the individual so that we can make corrections to things and hopefully they don't have to leave the organization because it's definitely not a fun thing. Yeah, no, and like I said, people forget about that. They always think of HR, like you said, usually it's transactional or it's bad, right? If HR wants to see you, it's bad. Or if I have to go to HR because I need a, I know everyone does them online now, but we used to have to go for verifications of employment or my paycheck is wrong or something always, right? It was always something that wasn't, or... As you said, and again, it's legitimate, but it's a concern is if there's an issue with someone at work or with a coworker, it's never a positive. Whereas, and even sometimes the open enrollment experience with the benefits, again, you're trying to put out the best benefits possible. We're in an inflationary environment and we live in the Northeast and people have to understand that benefits have a cost to them and the employer can't, can't absorb all of the increase every year. You try and do your best to to provide a value for your employees and their families. And it's just, it's hard. And sometimes you guys get the bad rap of, oh my God, my insurance is going up 3% or whatever the number is. It's hard being that person who's just that department that always is a kind of a, has that connotation to it. Agreed. (laughs) It's an Uh, occupational hazard, I guess. (laughs) It is. And that's my last question to you, Amy. Again, and I'm doing this selfishly because I've got my students listening here who are thinking about either advancing. So most of these, most of the students are like HR generalists starting off in their HR world or they're kind of like a, a payroll person or something like that. And they're trying to see if, hey, they're trying to get their master's in human resources and they're trying to progress through their career. What's the kind of the one thing that you would say to them to help them in their career? I think I would say, think about the work that you're doing today and really how that helps the organization, you know, be successful and it may seem like it's not a lot that you're doing the very basics of paying someone correctly uh, (laughs) having their address correct on the system that they're using gives credibility to the hr department and allows the hr department to do the bigger things around the people strategy for a business and i think if you can always look at hr as a service to the organization and look at it as you are the person responsible for the employee experience, that's a pretty important role. And so I, that's how I have always looked at HR and I view my customers are the employees of the business. And if I'm good at that and I make people feel good about being at work, I think I've done my job. And so I, I definitely would try to approach the work in that way. And that's what I tell the students too, to say, hey, you, you want to be visible but for all the right reasons, right? You never want it to be, in an employee survey, you never want to be down at the bottom on, hey, are you satisfied with HR? Because most people, again, if their connotation is, I only go there when I need something. And again, just doing the, I always say do the basics well, like you you said it right. Paying people 
the correctly on time with no that is it's so basic but it's also so important be, regardless of whether it's now or 20 years ago. If you don't do something, if the pay of people gets impacted, it, it's usually a bad reflection on HR. But no, good advice. Agreed. Amy, thank <laughs> you. I appreciate it. So I've been talking with Amy Roberts, who's the Chief Human Resources Officer, officer at People's Bank in Holyoke. And Amy, I want to thank you for your contributions and your time this morning. Enjoy the rest of your day, and hopefully there's not too much snow out there. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Amy, and thank you to Amanda Bailey from Boston University as well, and we'll talk to you next week.